Our Father, uh, we thank you that you gather us uh, together as your people in your presence uh, to hear you speak to us. Uh, We thank you that you want us to know you, uh, you want to uh, reveal yourself to us, uh, and so you speak words uh, that we have written down in the Bible. I pray this day that I would make uh, your word uh, clear, uh, that I'd be faithful to it uh, in explaining it, and I pray that you would give us open hearts and minds that are ready to receive your word, that it would take uh, root in our hearts and that it would open our eyes to see the glory and wonder of our Lord Jesus all the more, uh, that we might speak words uh, that are wise and that bring life to others. Uh, We pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, So uh, some of you don't know me very well, uh, but many of you probably know that I'm someone who quite likes to talk. Uh, I'm known as someone who likes to talk. I speak a whole lot of words. uh, And I've got to be honest that some of my words are useful, uh, but many of them aren't. Uh, That cutting, sarcastic comment that I said in the meeting the other day. Uh, The critical words that I spoke to Gabby the other morning uh, more than once. Uh, that conversation I had that, if I'm honest, really bordered on gossiping. Uh, that little white lie that I told my sister. Right, I speak lots of words, some of them are useful, uh, but many of them aren't. And I suspect I'm not alone in that. Right? And so as you read through these Proverbs, as I read through them this week, I was convicted that lots of my words uh, display a whole lot of foolishness and perhaps some wisdom. So today, that's why we're exploring this topic of wise words, and you can see in the sermon outline on the inside of your Connect card that we're going to look at the power, the character, and the transformation of words. Three broad things. So first, let's look at the power of words. I'm going to be referring to those proverbs that are listed there in the Connect card at different points, so it'll be useful for you to follow along. Proverbs makes it clear that our words have incredible power over the person who's receiving the words, right? the, the person we're speaking to. Uh, so Dan quoted in the kids' talk, Proverbs 12, verse 18, uh, that shows us that our words have power to wound other people. Uh, the words of the reckless, uh, we're told, uh, pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Well, I don't know about you, but I read that, and I'm conscious that often I have a reckless tongue. Like it's like I'm squeezing that tube of the toothpaste out of the tube. Often I'm not even conscious that I'm doing it. I'm not even aware of how I'm piercing others, how I'm wounding others. I just kind of leave them kind of cut to shreds. And if our words have power to wound others like that, in the end, they also have power to kill others. That's why Proverbs 18, verse 21, you can see it there. The tongue has the power of life and death. The power of death in your tongue. And some of you think that that's a bit dramatic, isn't it? You know, my mum and dad brought me up and they told me, uh, you know, Aaron, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. It's dramatic, isn't it? But that's rubbish, isn't it? Our tongues have the power to bring life and death. They, they can bring psychological death, emotional death. As someone is repeatedly made to feel discouraged or depressed or, or completely worthless. They can bring relational death. Right, we see that in Proverbs 16 verse 28. A, a perverse person stirs up conflict 
and a gossip separates close friends. Right, our evil words, our words that are distorted, that are perverted, they have the power to kill relationships. They bring relational death, right? And if someone uh, experiences uh, enough psychological death, uh, enough uh, relational death, uh, the sad truth is uh, that often they feel their only option is physical death. So our tongues have the power of death. They have the power to, to kill others. Uh, that's a couple of ways that, that our words have power over the person receiving them. Right? But Proverbs also shows us uh, that our words have power over us. Right? As we speak them, they're influencing us, if you like. Uh, so if you look at, at Proverbs chapter 12, I, th- I think the Proverbs are in order on the Connect card. right? Proverbs chapter 12, uh, verses 13 and 14. Uh, it says, Evildoers are trapped by their sinful talk. And so the innocent escape trouble. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things. And the work of their hands uh, brings them reward. Right, so, so if you choose to, uh, to speak evil words, sinful words, if you gossip, if you slander, if you, try to, if you kind of use your words to harm other people, in the end, Proverbs says, you'll be trapped by those words. Because in speaking those words, you're actually filling your heart uh, with evil things, with evil food. And in the end, that will come out. Uh, You'll be trapped by the very words that you've spoken. On the other hand, if you speak wise words, righteous words, the fruit of your lips, Proverbs tells us, will be good. Because your heart will be filled with good things, with, with good food. James chapter 3 in the New Testament, it reinforces this idea that what we say has a real effect on our hearts, on us. So if you read James chapter 3 from verse 5, for example, the tongue, James says, is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It it corrupts the whole body, James says, setting the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. That's intense, right? James, uh, not a fan of the tongue and particularly the damage it's doing in the churches that he's writing to. Right, but what, what's clear, we don't have time to unpack everything James is saying, but what's clear is that what we say, what our tongues do, uh, it has immense power for good and evil in our own lives, in our own hearts. Now, how, does that, how does that work? Like, how, What's actually going on uh, when you or I say something that's evil, that's sinful? I think the general principle... Uh, it's a bit like Dan was saying, like once the, the toothpaste out of the tube, you can't put it in, put it back in. Right? The general principle uh, is that our words uh, give life to our thoughts. Your words give life to your thoughts. They kind of embody your thoughts. They strengthen your thoughts. So if you say to someone, oh, I'm just so, oh, I'm so angry with you, I, I hate you. But on one level, you said that because you're already thinking it. You're already feeling it in your heart. But once you say it, you feel it and think it all the more because you've said it. 
But this is how words work. They, they, they strengthen what we're thinking and feeling. They clarify it. They give life to it. They empower it, if you like. So perhaps the solution uh, is that if you're thinking or feeling something negative, you, you just don't say anything. Just kind of keep it to yourself. That's what some of you probably do. Uh, but then Proverbs 10 verse 18 says, uh, whoever conceals hatred, uh, admittedly with lying lips and spread slander, is a fool. Right, but generally, it's not wise to simply keep things to yourself, right? to, to conceal how you feel. Uh, so, so what do we do? Right? You're there, your, your heart is filled with anger, you're frustrated, you're bitter, uh, you even kind of hate, you feel like you hate this other person. What do you do? Oh, well, here's what I think. Uh, rather than just bottling it up, rather than kind of exploding at the person, kind of in, in the moment when you're all worked up, just having a crack at them, uh, instead of doing those two things, you talk to God about it. You talk about it, you just talk to God first. You say to God, God, I've got this anger in my heart. I've got this bitterness, this frustration in my heart. Well, why do I feel like this? That's confession. You confess it to God. You might even confess it to a friend that you trust. Right? It's often as you do this, as you kind of verbalise what you're thinking and feeling, that you start to see the whole situation a whole lot more clearly. I don't know, this could just be me, but this is, like, I've experienced this lots of times. I've got something spinning around in my head, it's burdening me, it's, it's confusing me, I, I can't work it out. Uh, but then I talk to God about it, I, I talk to a trusted friend about it, uh, and somehow that whole process of verbalising what I'm thinking and feeling actually helps to clarify things. Right? Then when I do actually speak to the person, I'm much more likely to have a fruitful conversation. Much, much clearer on myself, on, on God, on, on the whole situation. Right? Our words have this power to, to strengthen, to clarify, uh, to affirm what we're thinking and feeling. They're, they're incredibly powerful. Uh, and they, they're powerful both for evil and good. They're, they're for good as well, like I've been hammering our words a little bit, but they're, they're, they're for good, right? Proverbs 18 says our words have the power uh, not just of death, uh, but of life. Right? They have the power to, to bring life. Why? Because God made us for words. I prayed at the start of my sermon that our God is a speaking God. God made us for words. So all of us want to speak words. We want to be able to connect with others. We want others to really know us, to understand us. This is why it's so incredibly frustrating to feel like you're experiencing something, like you're thinking something, you're feeling something, uh, but you just can't put it into words. Or you you want to be able to put into words what you're thinking and feeling. It's really frustrating when you can't because you want others to, to know you, to understand you. Uh, this, this is the stuff of life. For, this is what it means to be human. God made us to want to communicate, to, to speak words. That, that brings life to us. And not just speaking words, actually receiving people's words also brings life. Uh, there's some kind of uh, versions of uh, perhaps kind of pop psychology today. Isn't it? I mean, you've heard something like this before, I'm sure. They'll, they'll try to tell you that it just doesn't matter what other people think of you. 
or or what they say of you. It just doesn't matter at all. What really matters is what you think of you. Believe in yourself. What you think of you is the most important thing. Now, there's a kernel of truth in that, right? But really, that's just not how things work. For example, years ago, when I was just having my first go at preaching a sermon, I, uh, I, in the process of preparing the sermon, I met with a guy, uh, his name was Nello. Uh, some of you uh, know Nello. And I preached my sermon to Nello, kind of one-on-one in a small office. It was a very intimate and terrifying experience. And, uh, and when I finished the sermon, uh, this was Nello's first comment. He said, Aaron, uh, this world is full of ordinary preachers and we don't need any more. But... No, he said, so if I thought you couldn't do this, I would tell you, but you can do it, so you should keep preaching. Right, a bit of a goal halfway through the comment, but ended up well, right? And the truth is that before I had that conversation with Nello, I had some inkling that, that maybe I could preach. But it was Nello's words, right, and the words of a whole lot of other people that really breathe life into that. And that's what it's like with everything, isn't it? Like, you can only really be a songwriter or a photographer or a business owner or an artist or a chef or a designer or, or a health professional because someone at some point said, oh, I think you can do this. I see you and you are a songwriter. That's not just what you believe. It's not just what you say. You're affirmed from the outside. That's what brings life to it. But we need to hear the words of others. The words that we speak to others, the words that they speak to us have the power to bring life to us. Uh, That's why one of the most dehumanising things anyone can experience, like if if you want to really get to someone, you give them what? The, The silent treatment. You stonewall them, block them out altogether. That's dehumanising. We actually need words to live. We crave communication, hearing words, speaking words. And of course we need them because we're created in the image, not just of any God, but of the Christian God. The God revealed in the Bible, Father, Son and Spirit, uh, who for all uh, eternity have lived in community, in loving community, right? And in that community, what have they been doing but speaking to one another? Speaking to uh, to one another with perfect words. No sin or evil or foolishness, just love and delight and acceptance. We're created in the image of that God. That's why we long uh, for words. We long not just for any words, but for perfect words. That's what we crave. And as you read through these Proverbs, uh, you do get a taste of these perfect words. Proverbs shows us that that if we want to speak words that, that bring life to others, Uh, Words that are like God's words, our words should have a whole lot of different characteristics. This is the character that our words should have. Uh, For example, Proverbs 12, verse 17. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. Right? Like, perhaps a bit of a no brainer, right? A wise person, whether they're in the law court, that's the context here, or whether they're someplace else, uh, will speak words that give an accurate picture of reality. 
Because they're true, right? That's the whole idea with truth, is that you're speaking words that give an accurate picture of how things really are. That's why the foolish person, uh, the false witness, is so destructive, right? Because their words are full of lies and they distort reality. And so no one knows what's going on, you see. So our words should be truthful and honest, giving people an accurate picture of how things really are. Second, our words should be gentle and kind. Proverbs 15 verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This isn't saying that uh, that we should never criticise someone else, if that's what you think when you hear harsh word. It's not saying we should never criticise someone else. And it's certainly not saying that we shouldn't receive criticism ourselves. In fact, Proverbs 9 verse 8 says, uh, Do not rebuke mockers uh, because they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Well, that's something to strive for, right? The wise person uh, knows that sometimes they will only grow through criticism and correction and even rebuke. So they love it. When, like someone who loves them and try, like loving relationship, they're fine with that, right? But generally... It's gentle and kind words, or gentle and kind criticism even, uh, that are much more likely to lead to fruitful conversations. And so that's what we should strive for. Our, our, strive for. our words should be gentle and kind. And they should also be, I guess you could say, appropriate. So I'm trying to, a couple of proverbs here. Uh, Uh, For example, Proverbs 10, verse 32. Uh, The lips of the righteous know what finds favour, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. I'm sure you've known some of these people. They're they're, they're really quite wise. Uh, And part of the way you see their wisdom is that in a particular situation, they know just what the right words to say are. And they know the words that will find favour that will be well-received, not in a manipulative way, in in a godly way. They're they're just the appropriate words. The same thing in in Proverbs 25, verse 11. Uh, It's a pretty beautiful image here. Proverbs 25, verse 11. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. You know, this situation, you're going through life, perhaps you're struggling with something, and uh, someone speaks just the right words to you at just the right time. It, it's, a pre- it's a precious thing, isn't it? It's a very precious thing. So precious uh, that the, the writer of Proverbs uh, says uh, that it's like an apple of gold. Uh, that's already a precious thing, right? But, but it's even more precious than that because the right word at the right time is not just an apple of gold, uh, but an apple of gold set in silver. It's a beautiful thing. It's a precious thing. It's a priceless thing. So this is what we should aim for, right? Maybe after church today. Speaking appropriate words. Intentionally listening to someone so you can speak just the right word at just the right time. Oh, we've already seen in Proverbs, uh, chapter 10, uh, verse 18, that our words should be uh, transparent. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Uh, just to kind of touch on this a little bit more, uh, I don't know about you, but I find it incredibly refreshing to know people 
who, if they have an issue with me, uh, you know, as a pastor of a church, uh, people often have issues of, with me, right? But it's, it's refreshing to know people who, if they have an issue with me, uh, they'll tell me straight. I know they've got an issue with me. They'll come and talk to me about it. Uh, that, is far better. Like I, that, that is far better because I know that they love me enough to be honest and transparent with me. Uh, rather than the person perhaps who goes behind your back, my back, and they're kind of concealing their issues and they're resorting to other more destructive ways of using their words. Right? As described here, lies, gossip, slander. Right? Much better to be transparent with our words. Uh, finally, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, uh, we should let our words be few. Now, this is a challenge for me. Let our words be few. See that there, Proverbs 10, verse 19 our sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Uh, perhaps you're familiar with this as well. I certainly have been in lots of conversations uh, where I've been conscious that, that something's going wrong, perhaps it's a bit of a train wreck, and, and I'm desperately trying to fix things. And so my solution, what is it? It's to talk and talk and talk, right? But the more I talk, uh, the bigger the mess. Right, our Lord Jesus says the wise person is quick to listen and slow to, uh, slow to speak. Or as that other wise sage my dad used to say, uh, Aaron, uh, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so do the maths. Right, I'm still learning. Uh, right, we should let our words be few. A few well-chosen words is so much better. So that's what our words should be like. These are life-giving, truthful, kind, honest, and kind of completely appropriate words. These are the words that all of us crave. They're the words that bring life. But of course, our words are, well, not nothing like this, but they're a mixed bag. They fall a long way short of this standard. And so why is that? Why is it that often the kind of, you know, the toothpaste is out of the tube and we're like, ugh, yeah. Well, Jesus has stuff to say about this. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Luke 6, verse 45, Jesus says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks, Jesus says, what the heart is full of. Uh, so you might remember uh, that when we looked at anger, I, I talked about uh, St. Augustine and he said that sin is disordered love. And so I made the point that uh, our disordered anger is just an overflow of the disordered loves in our hearts. And, and it's the same here. Right? Jesus is saying that, that our disordered words are just an overflow of our hearts, of our disordered loves. Right? All our word problems are heart problems. All your word problems are heart problems. So, for example, why is it uh, that I lie at all? Right? Usually not maliciously, even a little white lie. Like, why is it uh, that I lie? Well, usually it's because I'm worried that if I tell the truth, uh, someone's going to reject me or think less of me in some way. So I lie to, to protect my approval. 
Right, and that's what it tells you. Right, It tells you that at least in that moment when I lie, uh, the approval of this person or that person is much more important to me than doing what I know will get God's approval by telling the truth. So my lying problem is actually a heart problem. It's a love problem. It's about what I love and treasure most, the approval of others or God's approval. Which is it? Or, or why is it? Right, I'm a bit ashamed to say, but uh, why is it that, that sometimes, I, I, I mean, I said this in the intro, I've had conversations that have probably bordered on gossiping. See, one of the things in pastoral ministry is some, you know stuff about people and, and sometimes in the best intentions, you're kind of letting people know about what's going on. But then you realise, no, that, that probably crossed the line, right? So why is it that I have had some conversations like that? Well, if I'm honest, uh, maybe this is a bit kind of stark, but I, I think it's because I like the sense of influence, the sense of power that I get, not just from knowing stuff about people, but from sharing it. People know that I know stuff. And that gives me some kind of kick. But I hope, I hope that doesn't put you off from talking to me, right? But uh, I think God's kind of done some good work in, in my heart on, on this issue. And I've kind of other people keeping me accountable, right? But I just want you to see, like, like our gossip problems are heart problems. Why is it that I can be so critical of other people? Right? Particularly uh, people who are closest to me. Gabby, family... They're late, they don't do what I've asked, essentially. Uh, they don't measure up to my perfect standards in some way. Why am I so critical? Oh, because I'm a control freak. Right? So when other people don't do what I want them to do at any given point, I feel out of control and I hate that. So it out pops critical words. Right? My criticism problem is a hard problem. My confession's over. Right? You get the idea? Uh, so how do, how do we deal with this? Right? The problem's deep, isn't it? It's not just about kind of having a little set of rules to tick or some principles to follow. The, the transformation has to be deeper. Deeper into our hearts. How do, how do we rearrange our, the loves of our hearts like this? So I, I want to spend the rest of our time showing you where in the Bible uh, we see some people's words transformed and exactly how that happened. Right, where do we see people's words transformed and, and how did that happen? If you've got a Bible, it would be used to ha- useful to have an actual Bible open. These, aren't in the, these passages aren't in the Connect cards. Uh, there's Bibles up the back probably. Uh, download one on your phone. Uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, we're going to open it up to Acts chapter 2. Matthew, from the start of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and then Acts. Uh, when you get to Acts chapter 2... Uh, what we're going to see here is an incredible transformation of a group of people's words. Uh, let's read from Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, Luke says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Right, so here, like backstory, we've got this group of Christians, the early church, uh, they're gathered together here in Jerusalem, uh, and Christ, who, who's been raised from the dead uh, and ascended to uh, his Father's right hand in heaven, he pours out his spirit into the hearts of these people, uh, and what's the first thing that happens? They start to speak differently. It's like their tongues are transformed. Right? They're filled with God's spirit, uh, and they're empowered to speak these new words. Now, of course, people have different ideas about what these words are. So what do we ask? So what sort of words? Well, let's keep reading from verse 5. Luke says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard, notice this, their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? If you flick down to the end of verse 11, uh, we hear them declaring the wonders of God, the crowd says, in our own tongues. That's why God pours his spirit out into the hearts of these first Christians and their tongues are transformed. Right? They're empowered uh, to speak of God's wonders, to, to glorify God uh, to all the people from every nation who are gathered there in Jerusalem. Right? These first Christians, filled with God's spirit, uh, they are able to speak clear words, not confusing words. Right? Everyone there can understand them. Now, what's significant about that? Well, it's incredibly significant uh, because it's a, it's a kind of completely, uh, it's a complete reversal of a particular judgment that God placed on humanity back in the Old Testament. If you've got your Bible open, you might want to flick back to Genesis chapter 11. Uh, it's the story of the Tower of Babel. We're not going to stay here long, but if you want to, you can flick back uh, to Genesis chapter 11, first book of the Bible, uh, 11th chapter. In Genesis chapter 11, uh, we have another group of people. Uh, but the difference about these people uh, is that these people uh, are gathered together not uh, to declare God's wonders, to, to glorify God, uh, but to glorify themselves. But we're told there uh, that they uh, are gathered together because they want to make a name for themselves. They want themselves to be great. Uh, so God comes down and he confuses their language. So no one can understand each other. But in Acts 2, what happens? God comes down again in the power of his spirit and he reverses that. Right? His people, filled with his spirit, baptised with his spirit, can speak with clear tongues, not confused tongues. Tongues uh, that, that people from every nation there in Jerusalem can understand. Right? So the question is, why does God bless this group of Christians gathered together rather than keep judging them? What's going on in the hearts of these Christians? Well, their hearts are full of something different. These Christians are not gathered together here because they want to make a name for themselves, but because they want to make a name for Jesus. The, the, their hearts have been transformed. A radical transformation's happened. They're not here because their hearts are full of love for themselves. Uh, they're full of love for Jesus. Oh, they love Jesus because they'd heard him speak incredible words, many of them at least. Life-giving words, healing words, truthful words, gracious words, perfect words in fact. 
In John chapter 7, verse 46, uh, even the guards in the Jewish temple uh, say, no one has ever spoken the way this man does. Right? Jesus' words were, were unique. He spoke incredible words. And, and these Christians heard those words and they loved Jesus. They wanted to glorify Jesus. But it's more than that. right? Because it's not just that Jesus spoke perfect words. In Hebrews chapter 1, we see that it's Jesus was, in and of himself, God's perfect word. He didn't just speak perfect words, he kind of embodied God's word. John 1, uh, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, we read it there in the first few verses, that in the past God spoke in many times and in various ways, uh, but in Jesus, right, in his son, God has spoken fully and finally. Jesus is God's perfect word. There's nothing more to say. God has revealed himself fully and finally in Jesus. Jesus is the only word that all of us need to hear. He's the only word that will bring life to your soul both now and forever. Jesus not only spoke perfect words, uh, but he, he was God's perfect, he is God's perfect word. So what did Jesus deserve? As the only person who never spoke a foolish word or a sinful word or, or even a careless word. What did he deserve? Well, he deserved to be in perfect relationship with God, with, with his Father in heaven. He deserved for that loving community to continue, to keep hearing the, the loving words of his Father. For example, at the start of Jesus' ministry, he was baptised with God's Spirit And you might remember his father said to him, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus deserved to keep hearing that. To keep hearing how much his father loved him and delighted in him. How much his father enjoyed him. Yet what happened? Jesus who spoke perfect words, Jesus who, who was God's perfect word, he didn't hear that at the end of his life, did he? Because he gave his life for us for people who've spoken all sorts of sinful and foolish and completely inappropriate words. And one of the things that happened when Jesus gave his life for us on the cross is that for the first time ever, Jesus heard nothing from his Father. Complete communication breakdown. Silence from God. Silence from his Father. And so we cried out to him, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, that's what we deserved, right? Jesus dying in our place. We deserve that rejection from God, silence from God. And yet Christ bore that punishment for us. That's why if you believe in him, if you give your life to him, like those believers in Acts chapter 2, you receive what he deserved. You're not just forgiven by God, you're, you're adopted as his child, and like Jesus... You're baptised, you're filled with God's Spirit. And in Romans 8, verse 16, Paul uh, makes this incredible claim. It's also there in Galatians uh, 3, I think. Uh, He says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit uh, that we are children of God. Children, sons and daughters of God. So this is how it works. Like Jesus, God's perfect son, was willing to receive, uh, to be cast out by his father. 
so that you can uh, be brought near to God and know him as your heavenly father. Not just to be forgiven and, and that God is going to keep you at arm's length, like he still thinks you're a dirty, rotten sinner. No, 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 you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you're adopted as his child, you're in the throne room of God, one of his dearly loved child. Jesus, God's perfect son, was willing to be cast out so you can be brought near and he was willing uh, to receive silence from his father so that you can be baptised with God's spirit and hear those words that Jesus heard. That's what Romans 8 is saying. God's spirit uh, kind of testifies with your spirit that you are a child of God. You are my son whom I love, my child whom I love. With you I am well pleased. That's what your heavenly father does for you every day by the power of his spirit, assuring you of his love for you as one of his dearly loved children. And that's the key, really, if you want your words to be transformed. Right? If you, to the extent that you understand what Christ was willing to do for you, being rejected by his Father so you can be accepted, being experiencing silence so that you can hear these incredible words of love from God. To, to, really, to the extent that you understand that, uh, you, you'll understand Christ's love for you. If you understand, the more deeply you understand that, the more deeply you'll fall in love with Christ, and the more you want to live your life for Christ, the more you want to glorify Christ. And so you see the difference. You'll be more like an Acts 2 person, a heart full of a desire to glorify Christ, not to glorify yourself. A heart full of love for Jesus because of what he's done for you, not of love for yourself. Right? The more that happens, the more your heart will overflow with wise words that bring life. Your words will be transformed. So for me, the, couple of, like, the more I understand that in knowing Christ, I have God's approval. God, the creator of the universe, loves me with all my foolish and sinful words. He loves me as his child. The more I understand that, uh, the less I have to lie to get your approval. Right? Because why would I care about your approval if I've got God's approval? Right? No, I'm actually set free to tell the truth. Or the more I understand that in knowing Christ, I, I have real power. Right? No, I'm filled with, with the power of God's Spirit now. And the Bible says that one day I will reign with Christ in glory. Right? So I've got real power. So why would I kind of want to cling to little bits of power in this world? by using my words to gossip or criticise or cut other people down. You see how this works? The more our hearts are full of love for Christ with a desire to glorify him, the more they'll overflow with words that bring life, wise words, rather than those foolish words that bring death. Let's pray. Our God, you know our hearts and you know our words. So often when we speak words that we regret in some way, we find ways of justifying it, uh, blaming other people. Sure, I'm critical, but that person's frustrating or whatever it is. Our Lord, help us to really own uh, that our word problems, of which we have many, are heart problems. Our heart, not other people. Uh, Help us to confess that to you. 
uh, help our hearts uh, increasingly to be captured with love for our Lord Jesus and a desire to live for him and his glory and not for ourselves, uh, that our hearts might overflow with words that are like him, uh, that are like his, uh, life-giving words, healing words, gentle words, uh, words that uh, truly point people towards our Lord Jesus and, and bring life. Uh, for his glory we pray. Amen.